Okay, this lovely puppy is on. Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, God's Holy Word. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 85, and we are doing a continuation of Genesis chapter 2. So let's go ahead and take a look at this here, and I'm starting from verse 8. And again, I'm reading from the Leadership Bible, the NIV version, also known as the New International Version. It's a good edition for sure. So again, I'm reading from Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the, is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gahan. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So to me, this is very interesting because you see here God blessing man. So he, he's blessing man, he's blessing Adam, and he's blessing the entire earth. So he's blessing everything that we have right at our fingertips, which is food, water, sheltered, all those wonderful things. And what God noticed was that Adam needed a suitable partner. So God created Eve for Adam. He created a woman for him. You know, what I find very interesting is that there's some people that think that, well, God just does understand my life. God, you know, God does understand how lonely I am. I just got to say, you're kidding me. He very much understands when you're lonely and why you're lonely. And you need to go to God and talk to him about that. You need to give God a chance to bless you. Very much so. And I think this is very important here as well, that God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, not Eve and Eva. So God did not create homosexuality. God created heterosexual people. Homosexuality is a choice. You're not born that way. You are born heterosexual. So needless to say, whenever someone says they're born that way, I don't believe it because it goes against God's holy word. I mean, you know, your sexuality belongs to you, and it is between you and God. But what God created is good, holy, and pure. So if you're living outside of, of the way that God says to do things, you're living very much a unholy lifestyle, and I don't think that's appropriate. It's not appropriate at all. 
I think we've had some really, I'd say, tremendous problems with the LGBTQ community in that they want to lower the age of consent, especially homosexual men. They want to lower the age of consent to have sex with little boys. That's really disturbing, and that that's not holy at all. So needs to say, let me get a drink of water. Hold on just a second. Again, I apologize. The air is really dry here. So anyway, whenever people doubt, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. What I find very interesting is that when people doubt God, I find it's because they want to do things their own way. Well, that's being very headstrong. That's being stubborn. And that that's not doing things God's way. You know, what's interesting is that a lot of LGBTQ people, unfortunately, a lot of them suffer from gender dysphoria, whether they realize it or not. And so gender dysphoria is technically a mental disorder, which tells you that something's not right in their head. More than likely, it's a chemical imbalance, or maybe they suffered a, a traumatic event when they were a child. So when something is a dysphoria, that means it's outside of what is considered normal human behavior. And so whenever something is not considered normal human behavior, that's typically when it's recommended that someone go get help from a licensed uh, mental health care professional. Unfortunately, what the LGBTQ community and whatever alphabet they're calling themselves these, day, these days, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it seem like gender dysphoria and their lifestyle is normal. And the rest of society, the rest, you know, everybody that's heterosexual has to accept them. And it's like, no, we don't. We don't have to accept that. And technically... God, this is going to sound, this is going to go against the grain of our society, but it is what it is. God is not for inclusivism. He's not. Because, you know, if, if you are inclusive, then you are accepting and tolerating every walk of life that goes against God's holy word. That's not what Christians are called to do. And what's very interesting is that a lot of transgenders and a lot of LGBTQ uh, individuals, they hate God. A lot of them uh, become atheists. They turn their back on God, and that's probably their biggest problem right there. You know, instead of going to God, asking him for help with their problem, they turn on him. And you know, what's interesting is that that is exactly what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to turn our back on God, to doubt God, doubt his existence, and just, uh, excuse me, apologize, my throat is still dry. He wants us, you know, the devil wants us to doubt God's existence. And it's just like, wow, the enemy, he only has one goal. That is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's doing a really good job of that in the LGBTQ community, especially you know with homosexual men. So needless to say, God did not create homosexuals. You know, if, if you're living a homosexual lifestyle, you need to stop that immediately, and you need to talk to God about it. Because you're living in, you are living and participating in a lifestyle that's not holy. And it's not helping you, it's hindering you. So just FYI, be aware of that. Let's talk about the, the heterosexual realm here for a second. Let me get another drink of water. So here's the thing. What I found to be very interesting is that in verse 24, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You know what I find very interesting? I see this a lot in Bible Belt states, and I can say it's because I live in Oklahoma. I see a lot of people, a lot of young people that are married, and um, even people that are middle-aged in their 40s or whatever, 
their their in-laws interfere with their marriage. And I don't know if you read Dear Abby, but there are so many Dear Abby letters. I don't know if they print it anymore because um, I don't get the newspaper anymore. But I can't tell you how many Dear Abby letters I read over the years that were about a daughter-in-law complaining about her mother-in-law because the mother-in-law was doing something that was not right. And then on the flip side, sometimes there would be mother-in-laws writing in complaining about their daughter-in-law, but you can read you can read between the lines and realize the mother-in-law is interfering with with her son's marriage and the son won't stand up to the mother. So basically the apron string has not been cut. That's a big problem for sure. So if you're married And let me say married people, it needs to be one man, one woman, not two men, not two women. Just because the state or the federal government okays gay marriage, it's not okay with God. Because we are one nation under God, and we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to doing things God's way, because it's the right way. So anyway, if you're married and you're having problems in your marriage, you and your spouse need to talk to God about this. You need to pray about it. And it doesn't necessarily mean groveling on your knees or something and saying a bunch of Hail Marys. Here's the thing. Hail Marys, you know, you know the rosary is a, I, I think it's a beautiful kind of prayer. I didn't always enjoy it when I was Catholic. But, you know, if all you're doing is saying a rosary, you're not really talking to God. You're not telling God about your life. You're not talking to God. You're just reciting something over and over and over again. It, it, it would be like, Well, let's say, for example, all I ever say is time will tell, time will tell, time will tell, over and over again, 50 times, time will tell, time will tell, time will tell. Okay, it, are you going to say anything else? You know what I mean? Like, you, you, need to, you need to open your heart to God. And if all you're doing is repeating what someone else says, you're not really speaking to God. You can have a holy moment and have like, you know, feel spiritual or whatever, but God wants to hear from you. God knows what the rosary is. He's probably sick of hearing it by now. Because, you know, when I was Catholic, another cult I was in, when I was Catholic, initially I was hesitant about the the, uh, the rosary because I was like, something doesn't feel right about, about that. But I went ahead and forced myself to say the rosary, and I, I got into it, and I was like, you know what? The more I said the rosary, the less I talked to God on a one-on-one -on -one level, like a a one-on-one -on -one conversation. The more I said the rosary, the less fellowship I had because I wasn't talking to God about what I need help with. And so my life got worse, not better, from saying the rosary. So that happened to me. I hope that hasn't happened to you, but it is what it is. So, but my point is this, if you're married and something's going on in your marriage, whatever it is, small, medium, or large, whatever the problem is, you and your spouse, I'm not saying you can't kneel beside your bed, but I think you need to sit down in, in the most comfortable room in the house. If you have kids, send your kids to like a neighbor's house or a relative's house, and you and your spouse need to sit on the sofa or sit at the kitchen table or dining room table, wherever it's most comfortable. And you just need to talk to God, the pair of you. And just say, Lord, Heavenly Father. And technically this is a type of prayer because it's fellowship. It's communicating with God. But it's not ritualistic is what I'm trying to say. See, if all you're doing is living a ritual, you're not living your faith. Rituals are good to a certain extent. You know, I think every church you go to has a ritual one way or another. Like they have a way 
of, of conducting the service. That's technically a ritual. That's fine. But when you are trying to have fellowship with God, it needs to be one-on-one. So what I would suggest doing, if you are in an unhappy marriage or something's going on in your marriage or your family, you need to talk to God as a couple. You need to pray together. And then you need to talk to God one-on-one. Like the husband needs to be alone with God and the wife needs to talk to God one-on-one alone. Because that's your private prayer time. See, I think one of the biggest mistakes that couples make, and I, I've noticed this over the years, they tell each other too much. And that may sound weird, but you know, yes, you are married to someone. Yes, you know each other really well. But that doesn't mean that, that you replace God with your spouse or your marriage. Because God gave you that spouse. God gave you that marriage. And the biggest problem I see in Bible Belt states is that once they get married, it's all about marriage and babies and babies, 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 babies. And hormones, hormones, hormones. And it's like, okay, pump the brake. You know, yes, you can have those things, but you need to put God first. Your wife is not God. Your husband is not God. Your marriage is not God. Marriage is a covenant given to us from God to bless us. It's a blessing to mankind. So it doesn't make sense. It's not appropriate to take what God gives you as a blessing and technically start worshiping that and then forget to talk to God about your problems. Because I got news for you. Your spouse can't help you with everything. They can be there for you. They can love you and cherish you, all those good, wonderful things, and, you know, make you laugh, you know, go on vacation, whatever the case may be. And all those things that are wonderful when you're married, but your spouse cannot answer any of your prayers, none of them. So why would you go to your spouse and talk to them about all this stuff and expect them to handle all this? That's a lot of pressure, a whole lot of pressure. So what I would do, and you know what I've noticed with this, with, with spouses, with really strong marriages Really strong marriages are marriages where they don't put their spouse on the hook for all their problems. They go to God with everything. And then they, what's interesting, I've, I've noticed some couples over the years, when they pray together as a, as a unit, so to speak, that's really good for their marriage. But they also do something really good as well. They pray separately. You can pray while you're driving to work. It doesn't have to be some big hoopla or something, but I've noticed that sometimes when people get married, it's like they lose their identity. That's not right. That's not right at all. And I'm not talking about when a woman changes her last name. I mean, that's just how family trees are. That's nothing new. But what I'm talking about is that I've noticed a lot of couples, in Bible Belt states particularly, when they get married, it's like they don't have a life anymore outside of their marriage. Like It's like they don't really spend time with their friends anymore. It's like, well, we're married. Life has changed. Well, okay, yes, you're married and life has changed, but that doesn't mean that you're no longer a, a person or an individual. You were attracted to that person as an individual, not as a a, a collection of traits or something. You know what I mean? So... I think it's very important to still remember who you are and remember that God made you as an individual. He didn't make us as a collective. Like, we are the body of Christ. 
We are not the blob of Christ. We are the body of Christ, which means we are we are made up, you know, the body of Christ is made up of different members. We all have different skill sets and we do different things. We have different occupations. But when we come together as the body of Christ, that doesn't mean that we stop being who God made us to be. And unfortunately, I see that in a lot of marriages. And then they wonder why they feel like they're not attracted to their spouse anymore or they 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 feel like their marriage is boring and dull. Well, yeah, it's boring and dull if you're just not really being who God created you to be. Because the reason why your spouse was attracted to you was because you were unique. But unfortunately, a lot of marriages, the reason why they fail is because they become generic. It's like your marriage is not generic. It's unique and it's beautiful and it's given to you by God. So just FYI be aware of that. You're probably not going to get all that from a dear Abby letter, but just FYI Please be aware of that because it's important. Um I'll close with this. The last verse in chapter 2 of Genesis says, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now the reason why they felt no shame was because they had not sinned yet. So just so you know, when you sin, there will be shame. There will be shame. So here's the thing, shame and condemnation does not come from God, it comes from the enemy. What comes from God is accountability, justice, forgiveness and love. When we sin, God expects us to apologize, to ask for forgiveness and to change. He he expects us to want to be better and at least try to become better. God doesn't say, "Oh, you're all washed up, you sinned again. Shame on you." No. That's what the enemy tells us. That's what the devil wants us to believe. And so it's really interesting. You know, like for example, drug addicts You know, they are a perfect example of people that live in shame, but shame is not from God, shame is from the enemy cuz think about if God wants what is best for you which he does, he wants you to stop sinning, he wants you to be blessed. What the enemy wants, he wants you to continue to sin, or if you refuse to continue to sin, he wants you to live in shame for the sin that you committed. God doesn't want any of that. So what's interesting is that There is no shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus. So if you are attending a church, typically wrath of God kind of church, fire and brimstone, if you're attending one of those churches, there's going to be a lot of shame and blame and there's going to be a lot of guilt put upon you. And guess what? That's not from God. That's not biblical. That's not holy. And you know, here's how you know it's not holy. It's not it's not from God. It's not from heaven. There is no guilt, shame or condemnation in heaven. That's why whenever we're praying and, and you know when we're living our lives, we're supposed to think of our life on earth as it is in heaven. Because you don't want hell on earth, you want heaven on earth. But if you don't give God a chance and if you don't believe in the goodness of God, you're not going to get there. That's why false indoctrinations are just that, they're false. That's why false ideologies are false because they're false. You know, that's why I would say false um theocracies are false because they're not telling you the truth. And what's interesting is that a lot of these cults and these theocracies the reason why they love guilt and shame and condemnation because that's how they control people and that's how they manipulate the members of their churches or their organizations. You know God doesn't manipulate people. He gave us free will. If God wanted to manipulate, he would have never given us a choice to do anything. So whenever someone says God is evil and bad and he's just using you or or is manipulating you, that's a lie straight out of the depths of hell because I'm like show me where God has used somebody. Show me where God has 
manipulate somebody. He hasn't done that. The enemy has done that. Like when you believe in the lies of the devil, you can rest assured th there are going to be problems because you have believed a lie. So what's the point in walking in a lie when you can walk in the truth of Jesus Christ? I choose God every day. Even when I'm frustrated with my life, that's when I especially choose God because I know that I'm frustrated. That's the enemy trying to pull me down. And you know what? The enemy may be trying to pull me down, but God is lifting me up every day. And that's how we need to live our life because that's the call to holiness. That's what this is talking about. God wants us to be blessed, not cursed. I will go ahead in this podcast, but as usual until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye. Don't let this world go down without a fight